Hey, hi, uh, I am Richard Donner, but you can call me Dick, and you're listening to Superman Movie Minute? Is that right? Did I do it right? Welcome to another exciting episode of Superman 3 Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can flies us. 1983 Superman 3, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Kelly, and joining me on this journey through time and space is... Chris Franklin. Howdy, Chris. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going well. So, okay, let's pick up where we left off, of course, in the last episode of Superman 3 Movie Minute, which was D. We're going to do minutes 50 through 55. They're going to start with Gus causing havoc. And they're going to end with Ross Webster seeing new potential in his plan that he is concocted. So, okay, um, like left off the list episode, we see Gus starting this uh, computer uh, skullduggery where he is going to be redirecting the Vulcan uh, weather sites to cause all sorts of havoc. And we initially see that there's cutting all these kinds of checks and bills going out. First, of, first of, when I first watched it, I first thought they were bills. I mean, excuse me, they were checks. They're actually, they're bills because then we see the interior of a presumably regular American family opening their mail in the morning. The husband and wife are played respectively by Ronnie Brody, who passed away in 1991. He has credits uh, such as A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum and Help, which are, of course, both uh, Richard Lester movies. He was was in one of the uh, Carry On movies. He was on Carry On Loving, uh, which I have not seen yet, um, and I'm not planning to. Uh, but uh, he was one of those. And the wife is played by Sandra Dickinson. She has uh, credits like Supergirl, which is cool. She's in Supergirl. Um, and she most recently was in uh, Ready Player One. Steven Spielberg's yeah. Ready Player One, which is like, wow. So the husband opens this Bloomingdale, Bloomingdale's bill, and we see the amount due is $176,000. So, and this is, you know, the whole gag of this is like an old-timey, you know, style humor, almost like it's like the Lockhorns or something, where the wife is spending a bunch of money and the husband has to pay for it. And his response is to cut open a grapefruit and smash it in the face of his wife, uh, which is a gloss on, of course, the James Cagney movie Public Enemy, where he does that to, uh, to uh, I forget the name of the actors, but anyway, he does, that's the famous scene in that movie where he smashes her in the face with the grapefruit. Now, both of these actors, as far as I know, uh, actually, no, excuse me, Sandra Dickinson, I believe, is is American, but Ronnie Brody is English. If you look at his credits, it's all t- it's all British credits, but mm-hmm. he never actually has a line. So I'm assuming that that's why Lester cast him because he knew the guy and he knew he didn't have any line, so you wouldn't have to try and dub him or anything like that. Yeah, he just grumbles on yep. <sighs> the whole thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, um, the next, right after that scene, oh, first of all, what do you think of that? Do you, do you find that funny at all? Uh, you know, I, I get what they're going for. It, nowadays, it seem it does seem harsh. It, it it honestly seems borderline abusive. I mean, it. I, I I can't help it. I mean, maybe that seems maybe that's too woke of me, but but it it it, it honestly does. I mean, because it's like the woman's just like she's looking at a postcard, going oh oh, and then you know he does that, and she's like oh, and I mean it, it is funny, but it's like he does it with such like just. 
I mean, I think it'd been even funnier if he'd done like a Ralph Cramden kind of build up to like, mm-hmm. what did you do? You spent the 170,000, you know, some dollars and then did it. But the fact that he's, he's like so meditative about it makes it seem a little more, I don't know, ugly. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's, it's not as, it's not as farcical because he is so just, he's like distraught, you know, that, mm-hmm. that she's done this. I don't, maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but it just, I don't know. I, I just, that type of stuff. I, I think that's that's just that type of humor that just has not aged well. Yeah, yeah. it's got it's like a Henny Youngman kind of thing where the wife is always spending money and husband, and it's it's just a relic from an earlier time. I just kind of was like, eh, okay, all right. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So then we cut to uh, all the tra- all the havoc going on due to traffic signs being messed up, and there's initially this huge downshot, which looks pretty ambitious. We see there's a couple of hundred people. Uh, on the uh, street. And of course the traffic signs are telling them all to walk at the same time. So we see them all converging on one another. And it reminds me of the shot from animal house where uh, we see the, the band that's been directed (laughs) into the alley and they're just like crashing into like, they can't just keep walking into this wall. And you're like, what are you guys, can't you guys see what you're doing? And it kind of reminds me of that here. Cause you're like, all these people are walking and you're like, they can clearly all see one another. So what are they doing? And the cars are going. So it's, Again, you can't take it too terribly seriously. It's meant to be, you know, very, very silly comedy. Um, you know, again, this, all this stuff that's meant to be funny, I'm just kind of going, eh, all right. If John Belushi emerged in a pirate costume at this point, it would not surprise me. <laughs> or if Kevin Bacon were literally flattened by the people all that run is over. well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and that leads to, to me, what is one of the film's most inexcusable jokes. <laughs> there's just no way around it there's that in you see the two little graphics of the green and red men signaling walk or don't walk and the little green guy gets angry at the little red guy climbs up into the other light and they start boxing each other and i mean this is a joke that is i, I i'm just like what is this doing in a superman movie what is, is this, this? Did, are we on Zucker Brothers Minute movie yeah. minute right now? Yeah, I yeah mean, this is that is to- yes, perfectly. That is completely a Zucker Brothers joke. Yeah, I mean this this has. I, I will defend parts of Superman three. I cannot defend this. This is yeah. just ridiculous. This this literally breaks the movie. Yeah, it, it it literally at this point the movie is broken. It might patch itself up, but you know th- this is the moment where. Okay, you know, we'll get to other moments later, but this is another one of those moments was, okay, I, I didn't pay to see this type of movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, even with Richard Pryor in it, this is not the kind of comedy he's associated with. This is, yeah, this is, it's just silly. I mean, it's a silly, and I mean, they, somebody had to love this, you know, they, they had to, because they had to like animate all this, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, this was a long drawn out process. This wasn't a simple, Oh, while we're on the set, oh, this is a fun idea. Yeah, do this. right, 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 right. Yeah, this is premeditated humor here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that that is a capital crime. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. You, somebody wrote that joke, and it was uh, scanned by several people, and they all went, "Yeah, that's funny. Let's do it." And then they animated it and they inserted it into the film, and it is just. It, it, I had forgotten that joke was in this movie, and then I watched it again, and I went, "Oh." Oh, oh no. Oh no, no, no. And yet there it is. There it is. I, I mean, I'll be honest, as a kid, I I literally remember sitting in the theater at you know, I was like what, 8, 9 years old when this movie came out. I remember sitting in the theater 
going, oh, that's, well, that's a little too silly. You know, <laughs> I mean, I literally remember thinking that. And I like from mm-hmm. then on, I mean, it, 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 the fact that I still remember that tells you that, yeah, even for a kid my age, it read is way too, way too broad. Uh, yeah. for, for this type of movie. I mean, yeah, a Zucker Brothers movie. I mean, you know, if, if Leslie Nielsen and Robert Hayes are just off screen, then yeah, that's fine, but not this type of movie. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're expecting Superman to like say, I have a drinking problem and then splash himself with water on the side of his face. Uh, I mean, it's just, yeah, it is really rough, really, really rough. Joke. So let's move on to something positive. Cause like the very <laughs> next, the very next thing, um, where we see Gus, and again, he's recommanding the Vulcan satellites. And there's this nice touch where we see the footage of the Vulcan satellite as it's getting redirected. We see it moving. And then overlaid on that footage is the typing, the commands mm-hmm. the Russ, that Gus is putting into the computer. And I really like that touch. I think that's a really sharp touch. I, I don't think – I can't think of another movie where I've seen that, where somebody no. – you know, we see the effect of what someone is doing on a computer and they're overlaid together – um, I think that's a really sharp way of making something very boring, which is somebody going tackety, 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 and then cut the footage of, of putting it together and making it visually interesting. So, I, you know, good on you, Richard Lester. This is, I mean, I don't want to overdo it. It's just like two seconds in this movie. But after that streetlight scene, I'm looking for anything I can, I can enjoy. And I really, I thought that was just a really nice touch. I wonder if that was... Lester or the editor or what, but I, I really dig it. Yeah, that is, that is sharp. I think, and in fact, I think all the shots of the Vulcan weather satellite are really well done. They hold up really well. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not, I mean, I was really surprised how good this looks. I mean, the, you know, and, and the earth below actually has atmosphere, which a lot of times in older movies, yeah, they forget right, to, yeah. <laughs> to get any cloud cover, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, it looks, it looks sharp. And I, I don't know. It's like when, as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, well, they should have done something like that in War Games, you know? Uh, right, right. Broderick, right? So, uh, which came out, didn't it come out like in the same year, I think? Or yes, it came out in 1983, that's right. Yeah, so, right. yeah, I mean, it is uh, it is really nice. And, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I was like, okay, I, I've got to look for something positive after. Because <laughs> my notes were very negative about the crosswalk guys, too. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's, there, we've seen a million movies of people typing things into a screen and hardly any director has found a way to make it visually interesting. Uh, but, but that I thought was a nice touch of like just overlaying. I thought that's, that's really sharp. Um, so then we cut to South America and we see the, the, you know, the literal effects of these weather pattern changes and there's a wedding going on in a church and we see that all of a sudden they're hit by like this hurricane slash tornado. And it's right at the moment that the Stokuses uh, are on their trip. The Stokuses are the ones who won the contest back at the daily planet. Yep. And they show up, and of course, they're there to see this, you know, of course, you're thinking of going to South America, it's probably beautiful weather, but of course, they're getting hit by a hurricane. Now, all these other people, the priest, the uh, groom, the bride, uh, there's some people that are selling things, and none of them get lines. I couldn't find any credits for any of those people. You hear them, um, actually, you hear the priest talk, but I don't, I couldn't find any credits. And then we cut to a lot of, presume. I don't know if this is B-roll of Hurricane, some of it looks like B-roll, but some mm-hmm. of it looks original. Some of it looks a little too good to have been B-roll. Um, so I wonder, it looks if they actually did take a, build a couple of houses just to knock them down. Yeah, I thought that too. It's like, but it, it's actually integrated pretty well. It doesn't, yep. it doesn't jump out at you. You know, other movies where they use B-roll and archival footage just 
look it's like oh my god that's so obviously not you know yeah uh from the even the same century at this point, <laughs> right but, yeah but uh yeah but you know here's a question i and it, this is not the fault of this movie i've seen this and i've seen this in other movies when people are on vacation in some foreign land and literally will walk into a wedding like you know i i, I don't know where else i've seen it but it just i, I it doesn't jump out at me that it's just in this movie why, when is that ever okay that you can just walk in off the street <laughs> right, and come yeah. into somebody's wedding? I mean, you know, I mean, if, you know, if our wedding of some random tourist walked in, I'd be like, what the hell are you doing? I don't know who you are, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, I guess they, we, we in America I always assume that down in other countries, it's, there's like no laws or no, you can just do whatever you want kind of thing. Which is, yeah, yeah. Not, not well, the, we're Americans, we can do what we want, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, so, but again, it, it's not a not a bad uh, sequence. Again, it's a fun gag seeing the Stokuses back after the you know all the all the groundwork they laid with the uh, Daily Planet contest, and then we get to see footage of some the world reacting to the crazy weather, and we get a news um, a newsman uh, doing his broadcast. He's played by Philip Gilbert, who passed away in two thousand four. He was in a Boris Karloff movie, Die Die My Darling. Mm. Uh, this is his last movie credit. Um, this is the last thing he was ever in. It's kind of funny when you look at the set that he is sitting on, he's at a, he's at his desk and there's a monitor behind him. There's a map of America. There's a phone. There's a phone on his desk. Why would any newscaster have a phone at their desk? I mean, like, what are you going to take a call in the middle of the news? Like what? It's, I thought that was such a weird detail. Breaking news. I don't know. Back then, yeah. that's how they got the. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right. It's a little, a little strange. Um, and then we see that the uh, newscast is being watched by, Ross Webster and and uh, and his goons and um, actually his his sister is actually uh, watching it and then we see that uh, Ross is uh, skiing and you're like wait a minute where the hell are we and then there's a very far away um, establishing shot where we see that this is at the top of this building and Ross Webster has built a ski slope at the very top of this skyscraper which seems not like a great idea. <laughs> to build at the at the very top of it, but it um we we see that from this very um uh, pretty magnificent pullback shot of of Ross as he's skiing down, and it's a really I mean I always love calling this out. It's a really great matte painting, yeah. Uh, because we see it's we see the actors moving around, and then we pan out and we see that they are in the middle of Metropolis, and it's it's a great great painting. It's a great touch of inserting this piece of live footage into this. Some of it's probably a photo and some of it's probably a painting, but it's again, a really nice effect. Yeah. It's really sharp. It's really well done. It holds up. Well, I thought the same thing. I will say before we move on too far, when that shot of the newscaster, it goes from the newscaster, like on the movie screen to being like on this TV screen and that TV sitting on the table, that looks like, the same type of sh- establishing shot from Superman, the movie where Miss Tessmacher sitting poolside with that TV on and, and Ross and Lex have the same, turn it off, turn it off. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. now Lex is frustrated because of Superman, but Ross is, he's just so delighted. He can't stand it anymore because mm-hmm. it's, so it's like, it's like literally they cribbed from their own movie series here. So yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, why, again, <laughs> we see uh Lorelai is, sunning herself uh, with a, one of those cardboard sun things, and she's rubbing lotion on her uh, voluminous chest. Um, again, uh, making me wonder, you know, this movie's this movie's rated PG-13, but wow, okay. Um, wow. It's PG. It's before PG-13. Oh, it's right. It's PG. It's right. It's not even PG-13. Yeah, wow. Yeah, oh, boy. Um, and then, then the five minutes ends with 
Ross getting an idea about, you know, maybe there's even more to do with this, uh, with this weather satellite. So not a terribly consequential bunch of five minutes. Um, again, it's just a lot of setting up of things, but there's some, you know, again, there's some nice things like in the match shot and the, uh, the computer effects. And then there's the inexcusable, the sign gag. Unfortunately, nowhere in this five minutes is Superman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, that is unfortunate. And and I and I agree with you about the I, I mean, honestly, I noticed that this time watching it, it, the moment when Ross like throws the fake snow on Lorelai. I mean, if, if that camera or Pamela Stevens moved like just a, a centimeter over, then this would be an R rated movie. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just like, holy cow. I mean, it is kind of interesting how much they. I, I mean, I guess they did that with uh, with Valerie Perrine in the first film to a yeah, point. They did. But I, yeah, yeah, but this this I don't know. This seems even more gratuitous because she's completely covered from head to toe, other than it's like she's got her top like zipped down yeah. almost to her navel. Yep. You know, yeah. Uh, it's just uh, it is it is kind of strange. It's like, uh, but the eighties were a weird time. You know, I mean, they, they you could get occasional nudity in a pg-13 and a pg movie sorry yep. pg movie yeah so it, it's just weird but yeah the, the, this um this these minutes are uh yeah no superman <laughs> and uh <laughs> a little thin a little, a little thin, thin to talk about yeah a little thin no superman and some of the sillier aspects of the movie that i don't think ever played well i i, I mean i honestly i have never I mean, even people who like, oh, I actually really, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people that's not like, I don't hate Superman three, obviously, or wouldn't be talking about it. I actually, there's aspects of it. Like I said, there's some scenes in Superman three that I think are some of my favorite in the franchise, but then there's also things like this. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really know of anybody, but if there's any listeners out there who, who, who do love this, these type of sillier gags that Lester's stuck in these films, let us know because I would yeah. love to hear. I would love to hear it. I mean, I'm, and we're not going to attack you, of course, or anything. You're entitled to your opinion. But I, I over the years, I've never met anybody. Who's going, oh, I love that gag. I thought it was hilarious. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, no. <laughs> the, the problem with a gag like that is, and and I know that you know we go on and on about our good pal Richard Donner, and we, you know we just love everything that he did when it came to Superman. But I really do believe that these movies only work on some level if they are grounded in some reality. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous that there's a guy, Superman flying around, but once you can accept that element to me, you have to ground, you know, ground it in some real setting. Otherwise not, there's no stakes because then anything can happen at any time. And the minute you do a gag like that, that just makes no sense in any way that, as you said, it belongs in an airplane movie. Then you're just like, well, this is just a giant cartoon. And none of this is real and in any way. And, you know, we will get to later scenes that do have some grit to them, which shows that this movie was kind of elastic. And then you could have a scene like that and then go to the scene later on, which we'll talk about the famous scene with Superman fighting himself, which actually has some some real emotional uh, heft to it. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, uh, so, you know, it's not like it's not like that um, the movie's, as you say, like broken permanently. But you just get these points where you're like, well, wait, now I'm just watching like a Bugs Bunny cartoon where, yeah. you know, and none of it. There's just we're just completely unreality. And there's no there's, there's nothing related to anything what a human being could experience. And that's a shame because it doesn't belong in a movie with really solid performances like we've been talking about from Annette O'Toole, Christopher Reeve and stuff like that. 
Yeah, you know, and it's kind of it's 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 interesting that we bring up that you know that that whole grounded aspect because you can go too far the other way too to where you ground the movie in such a in such a reality that that suddenly you're like, well, why are we even? This isn't fun anymore. You know, it's it, it, you know, I mean, and and I would say. Uh, my, for my t- personal taste, I mean, even The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, I like the first two Nolan movies, but I, you know, The Dark Knight Rises is almost. It's like, well, why is Batman even in this movie? You know, this <laughs> isn't really a Batman movie anymore. And and then you know, my opinion of the you know Snyder's overall take. You know, he's 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 thinking about it in two. You know, he's got these fantastical elements in a film, but he he refuses to to uh let any kind of actual wonder and awe about what's right. going on it, it, you know in and uh so uh ready for the hate mail now on this but, yeah. but, but but no i mean and i mean there's aspects of those movies i do like but i, I you know it's it, overall like there there is a happy medium yep. and uh i think that was superman the movie <laughs> yeah exactly that's why we spent so much time talking about it so <laughs> and superman too to a lesser extent but both of Absolutely. them yeah Absolutely. So, well, I guess that's going to wrap it up for these five minutes. Again, we don't have a whole lot to talk about without Superman in the movie or, uh, you know, in the case or say General Zod or Lex Luthor. This movie's thin when when Superman or Lana Lang is not around. This movie's kind of thin. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, we, again, we, we don't have a whole lot to, to, else to say about it. Um, there's two things I want to mention do though, before we wrap up. First of all, I've been noticing online, we all know about uh, Twitter, the idea of the blue check marks is that, mm-hmm. you know, that ver- that means you're verified. You're the real person, you know, the real Chris Evans or whatever. And so anyway, one thing I've noticed uh, that's been going on is two different cast members from the Superman franchise, Valerie Perrine and Annette O'Toole, have been talking publicly on Twitter about how Twitter refuses to verify them. They refuse, if you go to, if you look up Annette O'Toole or Valerie Perrine on Twitter, you see their names and it's clearly their account, but they don't have blue check marks. And they apparently both have submitted their information to Twitter and Twitter refuses to verify them, even though it is clearly the real Annette O'Toole and the real Valerie Perrine. So I don't know what that's about. Like, what, what, does Twitter have a thing against Superman cast members? Like, what is, like, that's such a, and they've actually been talking to each other back and forth about how They've submitted information, and I, I've you know I, I've never had to do something like that, so I don't know how it works. But that seems so goofy to me that there are people like people that you've never like you I'm, you know I'm showing my age here, but like you know YouTube stars, you know yeah. that like I've never heard of, and they have blue check marks. But a Neto tool can't get a blue check mark. Like what is Twitter? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, you know, they have a CV, you know, you go to IMDb and see their filmography, but they yeah. don't have a, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. But it is kind of nice to know that, that they're talking to each other about it. At oh, least it's, it gives it's them really some... sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's like Lena Lang talking to Miss Tessmacher. It's wonderful. You know, it's really good. Yeah. I mean, those are clearly the accounts of those people that those tweets are written by those people. So I get on the stick, Twitter. I don't know what's going on. You know, verify an editor tool and, and Valerie Prine for pizzas. We've we've interacted with Valerie Prine directly, and she's one. She's a wonderful person. She's wonderful, and she's sweet. And get her a blue check mark, Twitter. Come on, get get on that. What do you what do you do? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's like just yeah. Ugh. Yeah. That's silliness. <laughs> um, and then speaking of Superman cast members, this is something uh, a lot less fun that we I, we I think we should talk about because it, it broke since the last time we did an episode of the show. The great Ned Beatty. Uh, Otis himself, of course, passed away 
at age 83. Now, he had not been in a movie since 2013. Um, now, I know, I think he did some live theater work, so I was, I was always assuming maybe he was still doing that stuff. Or maybe he was just retired at this point. But um, he had been out of the public eye for a while. So when, when you know, someone like that around that age – you know, you don't see them for a while. You do wonder, you know, oh, are they, are they okay? And then we saw that, uh, that he in fact, unfortunately did, did pass away. I mean, one of the great careers in all of Hollywood and really one of the great careers as a character actor, he was really hardly ever the lead in a movie, but I mean, this guy had, you look at just his 1970s filmography. It is so impressive. And that he could do all sorts of, first of all, his first film was Deliverance. First, first <laughs> film right out of the gate was Deliverance, which is talk about, you know, starting, starting great, you know, starting really yeah. running. And I mean, so, such a memorable, I oh, mean, nobody for, can forget that performance no, and, and, no. and, uh, what happened to his character in that film, you know, oh, so. It's terrifying. It's a terrifying movie if you have not seen it. Yeah. I mean, man, look at his 70s credits. You've got Robert Altman's Nashville, All the President's Men. Network, Silver Streak. I mean, he had a he had a ongoing role on the show Homicide. He was in, of course, Richard Donner's The Toy. He's very funny in Back to School, the Rodney Dangerfield movie. Mm-hmm. He's in he's in um, the Walter Matthau movie Hopscotch, which is a comedy spy thriller, which I really love. That's a that's kind of an underrated, slightly unknown movie. But he could just bounce around from project to project, and just you know, and he was in like you know. Burt Reynolds is stroker ace for Pete's sakes. Uh, I mean, he could just do, he's in the big, easy switching channels with Christopher Reeve. Yep. Um, I mean, a guy that could do virtually, he was in an episode of MASH, which I covered just this season because he was in a season four episode of MASH. He was in the uh, 1990 Captain America movie. So, you know, not everything was great. Um, uh, Darren McGavin brought a little gravitas to that movie. Yeah. <laughs> much as they could. Uh, yeah. He had an ongoing role on Roseanne. He played, uh, played uh, John Goodman's father in that. I mean, just an incomparable actor brought uh, just, you know, again, one of the funniest elements, of course, of uh, Superman, the movie, Otisburg, Uh, you know, I mean, just marvelous. Again, really one of the, he was nominated for an Oscar, never, never won, unfortunately, but really one of the all time great careers. And, you know, I mean, it's just anyone who's 83, it's a good long life. You want to live longer than that, obviously, but obviously an, an incredible life and an incredible career. And it, it says something about him that when he died, I saw Twitter uh, remembrances all over the place. And then again, this was a guy who has not been in a movie that you had seen in a theater in over a decade, but yet people still just really loved him. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the thing that really jumped out to me and it, I don't know if I, I don't even know if we ever brought this up in the show we were doing Superman the movie, but honestly, the character of Otis under other hands might have been oh. um, unbearable. Yep. You know, I mean, it, it's, it, you know, it's to Ned Beatty's credit that Otis was such a lovable, fun part of Superman the movie and his interactions with Gene Hackman and Valerie Perrine, of course. Uh, that was just a great, uh, you know, that, now that's the case. And I mean, not to beat up on on anybody in this film. Uh, but Superman three, but when those three were on the screen together, you didn't mind. You're, yep. You didn't. You didn't go. Well, where's Superman? Because yep. they were. It was written well. They had that certain charm, and and nothing. Nothing against uh, uh, any of the actors here, but you know, it just. I don't know. There was just. There was some some electric chemistry. Plus, you had like. I mean, you had three of the top actors of the time in in those scenes. You know. So, I mean, that, uh, that means a lot, but yeah, Ned Beatty was just, uh, 
it was always a pleasure when he showed up in something. I mean, it just got plussed because he was there and, uh, and all this, you know, it, it reminded me, Oh yeah, he is, he's from Louisville, Kentucky. So he's a, fellow oh, Kentucky. He? Okay. he's a fellow Kentuckian. So it's nice to see Kentuckians do good out in the, <laughs> out in the, out in the world. And, and he left a, a heck of a film legacy. That's for sure. Yeah. I use one of the voices in the last toy story movie, yep. uh, Charlie Wilson's war with Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts. I mean, it's just, just an absolutely uh, tremendous career, and we loved him as Otis in Superman one and two. And so, uh, rest in peace, uh, Ned Beatty. Great, uh, great, great work, sir. Um, so, I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Superman Movie Minute. We're always talking Superman movies over on Twitter at Superman Movement. You can find all the back episodes of this show on our website, firewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Superman Movie Minute on any uh, of the uh, various podcatchers of your choice. We always have to thank uh, the Movies by Minutes guys, Alex Robinson and Peter Retailer, for allowing us to borrow their format. And, of course, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Superman's pal Henry Bernstein for his support of Superman Movie Minute. So that is going to do it. Come back next time as the adventure continues with Superman 3 Movie Minute. Giorgio, per favore. E grazie.